This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Nebraska, and we'll be discussing the aftermath of a chilling Tinder date. Then, we'll talk about a case of a college freshman who disappeared between work shifts. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Cornhusker State. Those of you who have tried online dating apps know how overwhelming it can be. Swipe left, swipe right, scroll down, scroll further, scroll even further. So many choices. Then, when you finally do get a match, the stress over the meetup begins. What if the date's awful? We've all heard the horror stories. But what if you actually hit it off? That's the hope. Something to consider, though, is what if the person you fall for isn't really who they say they are? It's easy to put up a facade, especially in the beginning. Where do you draw the line between being cautious and being too guarded? We are all capable of being tricked. In 2017, Sydney Loof was 24 years old and was working at Menards. Have you heard of Menards? Mm-mm. So it's a Midwestern home improvement chain. I hadn't heard of it either. It's like a, like a Midwestern Lowe's? Kind of like a Lowe's, it seems like. Mm. So she was from Neely, Nebraska and was a middle child. She was a tomboy growing up and she could outfish most of her family. She was naturally athletic and played basketball in junior high, but she developed scoliosis. So after that, pretty much anything that exerted energy would hurt her back. She ended up moving to Lincoln, Nebraska, and was near her brother and sister there, and they were all really close. She didn't want to work at Menards forever, though, because she wanted to work with animals at a vet clinic in the future. So Sydney decided to use the dating app Tinder to look for a date. Can't relate. She met someone by the name of Audrey, who was 26. She went on a first date and was really excited about it. She texted her friend and coworker, Tara, just got done chilling with a super cute girl. I hope she doesn't have a boyfriend. I didn't ask. What? I feel like you should talk more before you meet in person. Well, so apparently she had dated on Tinder before and met girls, but... The woman ended up requesting that a male get involved. Kind of like, you know, how married men will go on dates and they don't disclose anything until later on or the woman has to find out. So, so I guess for her, she'd gone on dates and thought it was just a one-on-one thing and the girl ended up saying, hey, let's have a threesome. And she's, that's Mm, not what she was. Not on a first date. Yeah, that's not what she was down for. So, I guess that's why she said, I hope she doesn't have a boyfriend. I didn't ask. Like, she was kind of just... You right. Know, that it was a could first be date. like yeah. a couple looking for a third. Apparently that's but common. It I feel like when that happens, it says it like couple looking for a third or whatever. Yeah, I mean that should be the case, but I guess she had told her friend that in the past she's gone on dates thinking it was just a date and it ended up being something else. So Sydney's date with Audrey went really well, and they decided to meet up again on November 15th for a second date. So she was feeling How many times between their two dates? The 12th or 13th. It was like- So just a couple days. A couple days between, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she went out. It was good. And then they're like, hey, let's meet up again a couple days. So right before her second date, Sydney Snapchatted a selfie with the words, ready for my date. Seen the picture. She looked really cute. So her mom saw the snap, and in true curious mom fashion, she screenshotted it and then messaged her, what date? (laughs) Yeah. Moms. So before Sydney met up with Audrey, she asked her through the dating app, just going to be me and you, right? Right. I guess that's kind of her hint like, hey, this is not a threesome, right? So Audrey replied, yes, of course. So... You know, Sydney's probably like, okay, well, I just want to check. You never know. Well, that morning, the next morning after the date, Sydney was supposed to be at work, but did not show up. So this was very untypical of Sydney, especially since 
She didn't even call in. Her parents and friends, who she was all really close with, tried to get a hold of her cell, and she didn't answer. And her parents were living in Neely still, and that was about 150 miles northwest of Lincoln. And they called the police to conduct a welfare check on their daughter. They said it was extremely weird that her cell phone would be turned off. She was the type of person to get in touch with her friends and family. Right. Especially after she had just gone on a date, you would think she'd be telling oh, her friends. Oh, for sure. If you go on went. a first date or a second date, you're calling your friends mm-hmm. and you're like, girl, that's Exactly. <laughs> and her, they said her intentions were going home that night, so she wouldn't have been out. And even if she had, she probably would have shown up to work the next morning. Mm-hmm. Well, when her home was checked, her car was still at her home in Lincoln, and her cat Mimsy was there with no food or water. So her family said she would have never left her cat like that. They knew something was wrong. So while police were looking into this disappearance, in the meantime on Facebook, her friends and family posted photos of Sydney and of her tattoos, a yin-yang on her forearm, the word believe with a cross on the inside of her left wrist, and the words everything will be wonderful someday on her bicep. I'm not sure if the last one was from the Everclear song, Wonderful. Girl. I love that song so you much. You would. So this is the same. So this is like, the so like say they went out Friday. Mm-hmm. So this is Saturday. No one's heard from her. So immediately they're posting pictures on Facebook just after a couple hours. Not, not after. Murder no, my family no, no, no. and friends. So it wasn't after a couple of hours. I'd be like, can you just take a beat and let me finish doing what I'm doing? It didn't get descriptive in the time, but it was kind of implying it was around four-ish days. And she hadn't gotten home, but her car was still there, her purse was still there, her cat was still there, she hadn't called anyone. So it was four days, so ish, it didn't say specifically, but they did do the welfare check the next day, but they weren't posting the Facebook stuff right away. They were just kind of saying, hey, has anyone seen her? And you know, the tattoos are descriptors and that kind of thing. Right. So anyway, Sydney's best friend, Brooklyn, decided to do some citizen sleuthing of her own. You know, I love that. If I ever disappear, Lacey's got me. Yeah, if anyone needs a sleuthing wingman, (laughs) screenshot me your information. And if you don't contact me within a certain time, I will track (laughs) them down. So her friend knew it was super strange that Sydney went missing the night of her date. I mean, what are the odds that they're not involved? So Brooklyn decided to create a fake profile on Tinder in hopes of matching with Audrey. So she pretty much... She knew who she was. She knew a name. Sydney had shown her friends a picture of her before, so they knew who she was and they knew that her name was Audrey. They didn't know much else, so she kind of made a fake profile hoping that um, Audrey would see it and want to match with her. So I'm guessing she ca- she probably made it similar to Sydney's if I just had to speculate. But wouldn't you know it, her ruse worked. She matched with mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. She started communicating with her soon after she made this account, and that's how investigators found her. She started chatting with her. Didn't you do another case like this? Similar, yeah, yeah. where a friend, it was on the yeah. tag, which I've never heard of that. Yeah, I never heard of tag yeah. So she gets on there, and she's communicating with her, and she ends up finally getting her to give her her cell phone number, and she gives that to investigators. Dummy. Isn't this just wild? Dummy. So... They got the phone number, they were able to track this person down, and they discovered that Audrey was not her name at all. Mm -hmm. I hate a liar. I know. So her name was Bailey Boswell, and she was living in Wilbur, Nebraska, which is around 32 miles away from Lincoln. So, of course, now this Bailey Boswell was a person of interest. This is kind of interesting. Police served Tinder a search warrant. Because of this, they were able to see all 140 messages that were exchanged between. Dear it's God. a lot. If I know some people that are on these dating sites, and they have screenshot messages and send them to me, like not me, but yeah. other girls and boys that are on these dating sites, I would die if the yeah. look. Listen, I mean, mm-hmm. 140 in the span of a few days of knowing someone—that's a lot of talking. Yeah, and something tells me that's not all PG. Probably not. So between 11th, November 11th, so I'm guessing that's when they matched and first started chatting. So there was a date soon after that, and then the 15th, which was the last date. So that's the, when the messages ended. The very last message sent to Sydney was on was at 6.54 p.m. on the 15th, 
And that's when Bailey, a.k.a. Audrey, let her know that she was at her residence. But were, did she already have her phone number? I feel like if you already exchanged phone numbers, why are you still on this? Why are you still talking on so Tinder? So this was through Tinder. The the friend that made the fake profile. <gasps> oh, yeah, she's it's, the it's one. confusing. There's a yeah. lot of names. So, okay, okay. So Brooklyn made the catfish account okay. and convinced Bailey slash Audrey to give her her, her gotcha. phone number. But Sydney... And Audrey slash Bailey were only communicating on Tinder messages. Gotcha. Yeah. Police were able to track Sydney's phone based on the pings of all the cell phone towers that she had been around. Mm -hmm. So they discovered it was last connected to a tower near Bailey's basement apartment, which she shared with her boyfriend, 53-year-old Aubrey Trail. I mean, I don't know why you're looking at me. I love a silver fox, honey. (laughs) He was not a silver and he was not a fox. Okay. So his name is Aubrey with a B. It's kind of confusing because Bailey used the fake name Audrey with a D. It seems like a lack of creativity. Clearly. But I digress. So the landlord of the apartment, who I'm assuming lived upstairs, it didn't say, but said there was a strong odor of bleach coming from the basement. There's always bleach. Come on, people. And they alerted authorities. So, police served a search warrant and searched the apartment. So, you just smell bleach and you call the police? It didn't really get into descriptives. I'm I'm assuming that they could they called the landlord or they tried to reach them and they weren't answering. So, they called the landlord and the landlord's like, well, there's bleach. But it didn't really, it didn't say. It didn't feels like a lot of jumping to conclusions. Yeah. They served the search warrant and searched the apartment, which I'm guessing in this case they showed to the landlord. Because they weren't there. So they found portions of the walls had been wiped down in an effort to clean them. Bailey and Aubrey were not there. They were on the run. Yep. High roll. So it gets really weird. Shocker. They start posting social media videos of themselves declaring their innocence. Before anything was even. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. Guilty. So first of all, they were not even declared as suspects at this point at all. The police just understandably wanted to talk to Bailey because she was the last person sure, why would to you? go on a date. That's So I watched some of these videos. and Well, in one of the videos, Aubrey says, I've never killed anyone in my life and I've never hurt a female in my life. So take that for whatever the hell that's worth. I'm not saying I'm a nice guy. I'm a crook. I'm a thief. Have been all my life, okay? But I'm not what you're trying to make me out to be. Yeah, and then in another video, Bailey admits she went on a date with Sydney, but ended up dropping her off at a friend's house and hadn't heard from her since. So then Aubrey pipes in and says, I wish the family the best. I mean, no disrespect to anyone, and as far as the police department, F you. And then Bailey flips off the camera, which it's like, you're wishing the family the best, and you mean no disrespect, and then you're flipping off the camera. Okay. They weren't the best at running from the police. Shocker. They ended up being arrested in Branson, Missouri. (laughs) Why do things always end up in Branson? Standing in line to get tickets for the Titanic. Yeah, they were in Silver Dollar City. No, they were not in Silver Dollar City. (laughs) They were in line to get on the Time Traveler. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so they were arrested in Branson, Missouri on November 30th. Authorities detained them on federal material witness warrants and transported them back to Nebraska where they were held in the Saline County Jail. All right, so detectives found out that both Bailey and Aubrey had checked into a Lincoln Hotel near Sydney's place of work, Menards, and then went on a 12-minute shopping trip at a nearby Home Depot. There, they picked up a hacksaw, tin snips, Drop cloths and utility knives. Tin snips. That just makes me quiver. Do you know what they are. Yes. Yeah. I had to. Ugh. I had to Google it for those that don't. They're. They almost work like scissors, but they're shorter. But they're used to cut metal sheets, tin, small pipes. So they're heavy duty. They're like heavy duty toenail clippers. Yeah, and they look disturbing. Oh my bad. This was before their second date, not the first date, but. Get your shit together, Lacey. I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so there are security tapes depicting this, so it's not just hearsay. It shows them both, you know, buying stuff. Well, earlier that same day, Bailey bought trash bags, laundry soap, 
and bleach at the Dollar General in Wilbur, where she was from. Then she made a trip back for duct tape and roasting pans before heading to Lincoln to meet Sydney before their second date. So before that night, Aubrey actually went into the Menards while Sydney was working. And it seems like he's trying to scope her out almost. The video is chilling because it shows him walking into the store and their paths almost cross. Aubrey is shown turning and looking back at Sydney. And then he looks in at something in his pocket and then looks back at her a second time. Almost like he's like maybe looking at a picture like, okay, is that her or something? She doesn't seem to notice him and she doesn't recognize him. Like it's, it doesn't seem like they've ever met before. He's looking at her specifically. She's not paying any attention to him. Well, he leaves right after that and records show that he called Bailey right after he left. So I'm thinking he was scoping her out for Mm -hmm. some reason or spying. No one really knows. So on December 4th, authorities find garbage bags containing her dismembered remains in, in a rural area around 90 miles southwest of Lincoln. Her, she was dismembered in about 14 different pieces. I hate saying it like that. Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So they were led there by following cell phone pings. An arm was sticking out of one of the trash bags. And this arm had a recognizable tattoo. Everything will be wonderful someday. It was Sydney. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. So as they uncovered the remains, they realized that most of her internal organs were gone, including her tongue, kidney, spleen, and heart. Yeah. The autopsy concluded that the cause of death was strangulation. She also had marks on the on her back and on the top of her head, as well as restraint marks on the outside of both of her wrists. So they also believe that a hacksaw is what was mainly used for dismemberment. Uh. The item and tools used were never found, though, but they did see that they were buying those in the store. So they take them in, you know, for questioning, and finally Aubrey Trail decides to start talking, but his story didn't sound very truthful. All right. He told investigators this entire thing was an accident. He said that he and Bailey were having consensual rough sex with Sydney, and then it just all went wrong. He claims that they didn't intend for her to die and that he offered to pay her for a sexual fantasy that he had involving erotic asphyxiation. Here we go. Yes. He later went on to say that when he realized she was dead, he panicked, and that's why they went to such great lengths to dispose of her body. But then later on in that interview, he told police that 50% of what he tells them is bullshit. During the interviews, Aubrey started getting concerned about speaking in a room with a camera, so he asked the FBI agents to go with him into the bathroom, and they did. (laughs) Yeah, and then he whispered to them, witches kill Witches kill a life for a life, and they gain more power when they kill. Mm -mm. So it's also interesting to note that one piece of evidence that police found was a note in Bailey's purse that had a list of 12 or 13 women on it. Oh, my God. Well, beside each name was a description of a special power. For example, healing, see danger, and fire. No. (laughs) Very strange, right? No. Yeah, okay. So then... These were all Tinder dates? We don't know at this point. It's just a list of women's names. No. Okay, so trial begins in June of 2019. You know how it goes. It takes forever for things to start rolling. Some witnesses, interesting ones to say the least, start coming forward. Okay. Two young women come forward claiming that they were involved with both Aubrey and Bailey a few months before Sydney's death. Here's the kicker. Are you ready for it? They claimed that Aubrey is a vampire. Get out of here. And tells women that he has the ability to fly. However, he asks them to call him daddy. I mean, who hasn't? (laughs) It's just. Well, first of all, 
somebody asking you to call them daddy is not a crime. No, no. And it doesn't make you a weirdo. No. Saying you're a vampire isn't a crime. No. Saying you can fly isn't a crime. So why would they... Uh, anyways. Right. They're like, and then he said this. And you're like, well, you Well, know it what? kind of... Any dude sh- on sure. Saturday night that has too much to drink is probably going to tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. Not that he's a vampire, but... So then they say Bailey is the queen witch. So she's a witch, but he's a vampire. Yes. What in the hell? It's kind of a um, shame to witches and vampires everywhere. Because sounds, I don't think no. that she's a witch. And I don't think he's a vampire. Mm. But anyway. Not in Nebraska. No. They're not whatever. No, no, no. Okay. So, yeah. So, Bailey tells other young women that want to be witches that they can increase their special powers by killing people. That sounds legit. So, Bailey told these girls that in order to get the powers, they had to breathe in someone's last breath. So, she's claiming you can become a witch by killing people. Could you imagine being so gullible? I mean, it's... (sighs) Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay. I don't know who... The women were um, anonymous or, well... They weren't anonymous to, they, you know, spoke, but I didn't know much about them. I don't know if, they might not have believed it. They might just have wanted a place to stay or, you know what I mean? They were kind of, you'll, you'll see. So the first woman to testify told the jury she met Bailey through Tinder mm-hmm. and became involved in stealing and selling antiques with the two. <laughs> it's just such a weird story. It's not funny. It's just everything going on right now. I don't even know how to, Okay. So this is how they made their money. They stole and sold antiques. It was like the Vampire Witch Antique Road Show <laughs> of stolen goods. It's so ridiculous. He actually had had legal trouble in the past from stealing antiques and stuff. So he's been in trouble before with antiques. Where is he stealing them from? He's just going to flea markets and pocketing well, he, Vases? so one thing I read, it didn't get into specifics. He tricked a woman into buying something from him, claiming it was worth way more than it really was. Like he duped her and she tried to sue him. Like it was, he's like he said earlier, he's a thief and he's a crook. <laughs> and a vampire. And a vampire. And a daddy. And he didn't really get into the vampire stuff, just that he could fly. But yeah. And at no point these girls aren't like, show me. It didn't say. Yeah, I don't know. No. Well, one girl said that she didn't actually think he was a vampire. But oh, no. She, yeah, this is how they made all the money. Their group had around 12 to 13 women in it. So these are where the names come in that were on that list. They called themselves witches, and they got a $200 allowance per week to be a part of their group. So they were getting money. It's possible that they didn't believe this stuff, but they were getting they money. They were getting paid. They were getting paid. And they were kind of predatory in who they were picking out, but... Did they have a type? I didn't. I don't know if they necessarily had a type. So the second witness gave a similar story. She met Bailey on Tinder, and Bailey was using the name Jenna at the time. But online, when they were talking, she told her that she had a sugar daddy before um, they met. First of all, a sugar daddy is not going to give you $200 a week. That's, that's a food stamp daddy. <laughs> it's a sweet and low daddy. $200 a week. Well, that we don't know how much Bailey was getting. This is just what these other witches, yeah, they were getting money. But yeah, she told her, I have a sugar daddy before they even met. She didn't do this with Sydney because we see all the messages. You know what I'm saying? So she also helped steal and sell antiques, but was uncomfortable with her relationship with them and their strange house rules. One rule was that she had to walk around naked when they were in the house. That's weird. You're just putting your naked butt on stuff. So. That's not. mm -mm. Yeah. So, yeah. She had to be naked inside the house at all times. All the women did. But Bailey did not have to follow this rule. So, Bailey and Aubrey didn't have to follow those rules. But she also said that Bailey and Aubrey frequently talked about killing people in their presence. Another rule was that they had to participate in group sex with Aubrey and Bailey. Obey their every wish accept punishments when they misbehaved. They couldn't talk to other men, and they had to check in with Aubrey every three hours. 
So both of these women that were witnesses said that Aubrey would often talk about torturing someone for sexual gratification. It's getting army hammerish up in here. It is getting a little army hammerish. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the B BSM BN BDSM BDSM. Yeah, BDSM is is something. This is not it. That's not BDSM. Yeah, this is no, not absolutely not. So I'm not wanting to come. I'm not this shaming not any even, of yeah the, no. Yeah, this isn't what that is. Killing, torturing, that's not no. that's not what any of that is. So that's not this at all. The first witness said that she and Aubrey had actually planned to kill someone so that she could be a witch. And they had two targets in mind. They met one at Walmart. Of course. In Branson? <laughs> no, this was in Nebraska. <laughs> so this girl that they met ended up having a family emergency and had to head to California, so they, it didn't end up working out. And this witness also testified that she was glad and she, like, had a panic attack in the bathroom and escaped this witch cult, and she saw the light. They also told the jurors that Aubrey and Bailey had plans to create a snuff film in hopes of being able to sell it for around $1 million. So that was... In- Who in the... No. Mm-hmm. No. These are terrible criminals. Yeah, this is... So there's no evidence showing that Sydney had any idea of this witch sex cult. So there's no evidence showing she planned on someone else joining in on them. In fact, it shows the the opposite where Bailey said, well, Audrey said, we're going to, it's just going to be us. There was never talk of a third party involved on the Tinder messages. So... As far as Sydney knew, she was meeting a girl she really liked for Mm -hmm. a second date. All right. Well, if this isn't deranged enough, during the trial, Aubrey yelled, Bailey is innocent. Curse you all. Then stabbed himself in the throat. Yes. During the trial, he stabbed himself in the throat, and it was either a pen or a small razor. They weren't able to tell during the trial. Yep. Hmm. It didn't do much harm because he just needed a couple of stitches and they had him back in the courtroom. And he took the stand after this. He said they were engaged in a sexual act when he was choking her with an extension cord. He said he didn't know if she had a seizure or what, but that's when she stopped breathing. And they're like, okay, well, why didn't you call anyone for help? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I just didn't think anybody would believe me. And he didn't mention trying to resuscitate her, trying to help her. They just, no. It's, I'm not buying this at all. No, this sounds, no. Yeah. So, only after three hours of deliberation, he was found guilty of first-degree murder. Bailey had a separate trial, and hers was after Aubrey's. So, this FBI Special Agent Eli McBride was the first witness and walked the judges through the discovery of a sauna suit that the prosecution alleges was used during Sydney's murder. A sauna suit. And I read in Ugh. one article that the crotch was cut out. No. So, no. we don't know what this was being used for. We have no idea. It's just, they found it. No. Yeah, he described how it was found in Clay County along with 13 pieces of Sydney's body, which was discarded in black garbage bags in ditches. Then, the pathologist who performed Sydney's autopsy testified and said that Sydney's cause of death was homicidal violence with signs of strangulation. So, Bailey Boswell was also found guilty of first-degree murder, and since this is a more recent case, things are still unfolding. Actually, just a couple of weeks ago, in March, a three-judge panel began the process of determining whether Aubrey Trail will receive the death penalty or life in prison. During the panel, the prosecutors argued that Aubrey's depravity was over the top and pointed to unexplained cuts on her body that were unrelated to dismemberment. And they also talked about her missing heart and other organs This murder was intended to be over-the-top with violence, Assistant Attorney General Doug Warner said. Defense attorneys later would offer exhibits laying out his life history and interviews with family that show he was a troubled kid with a rough family life, and he had a stay in the early 80s at a Tennessee, a Tennessee group home later closed over abuse allegations, 
I mean, yeah, that's that's horrible. But I mean, that's insane. You, yeah, yeah. You, you no, can't. That, no, you can't kill someone no. as an adult. That's that's sad. But that's uh, Sydney's organs were never found. They probably sold them or ate them. Yeah, and the pathologist explained that this went beyond decomp or animals that may have gotten into the remains. There was speculation that they were maybe just in other trash bags that were dumped in the county and they just maybe haven't been found yet. Aubrey said during a police interview that he drank her blood. Then he said he was just joking. <laughs> what Psych. a thing. <laughs> no, that's not something you joke that's, about. If no. you want to be in Mm-mm. if you want people to think you're innocent, you don't maybe don't joke about drinking her Mm-mm. blood. It could still be a few more weeks before we know what his sentence is, but I'll let you all know about it. Bailey's hearing before the panel is actually scheduled for June 28th of this year, so she hasn't gone before the panel yet. So she's still she's still waiting. Correct. It'll be first degree murder, but it's just is she there for life or death? Sydney's father George was a principal, but recently retired. He said this: the last year taught that all of the things I tried to fix or take care of at work were petty compared to losing my child. And I no longer wanted to deal with other people's problems. And I thought this was really sweet. The Ponca tribe of Nebraska built and dedicated a bench looking out on the Elkhorn River to honor Sydney at Neely's Riverside Park. The tribe's chairman told the Antelope County News that the tribe wanted to recognize her and her memory and reciprocate the efforts of Neely to care for the grave of a Ponca girl who died there while on the Trail of Tears 141 years ago. The Omaha-based Set Me Free project, which fights human trafficking and promotes social media safety, created a $3,000 scholarship in Sydney's name for a Nebraska high school student seeking to study criminal justice, social work, or cyber safety after graduation. I originally found this case on True Crime Daily, which has all kinds of wild cases, goodness, And there are tons of articles out there by Omaha World Herald on this case, but that is my twisted tale. That is insane. A vampire slash antique thief slash daddy slash... Daddy vamp. Daddy vamp. And the only thing... (laughs) And the only vampire thing... He called himself a vampire and that he could fly, but he didn't... That's... I don't know what else made him... Why Why did he think he was a vampire? It didn't elaborate on that. I don't know. So, um, I don't mean to discourage people on dating. I have friends that have met people, and they're still together on online dating. So, by all means... Knock your socks off, knock people. Knock your socks off. It's just a sad, unfortunate thing. It just shows, like... Well, here's the thing, too. If it's online or if it's in person, you still don't you still don't know mm-hmm. if you can trust somebody. It doesn't. I mean, exactly. You, it doesn't. Mm-mm. On July twenty fifth, nineteen ninety five, eighteen year old University of Nebraska Lincoln freshman Tina McMiniman left her lunch shift at Godfather's Pizza to go home for a rest. She had another shift later on that day, so her apartment was about five minutes away. Her second shift didn't start till five thirty, so she's like, "I'm gonna go home and like." chill out for a few hours. So her roommate, Sarah, and her lived on the second floor of the Amberwood apartment complex. So this complex had like 14 buildings, a little over 100 people lived there. It was a quiet area with little crime. And the girls had just moved in there about two months before. So they lived on campus. And they're like, we're not feeling this whole dorm room vibe fraternity thing so let's you know get an apartment Mm -hmm. so anyways so like they didn't really know any of their neighbors so to speak like they weren't friends with anybody but i mean they wave at the mailbox or whatever but they weren't like close with anyone so anyways so she goes home to chill for a bit sarah was there when she got there and then she left for work about 4 45 sarah the roommate so tina's there by herself So she calls one of her friends and talks for a little bit. They were on the phone um, till about 5.17. Her name was Lou, the girl that she was talking to. Um, She was friends with Sarah and Tina. So she invited the girls to come over after work that night and just like hang out. 
So Tina hangs up the phone and leaves a note on the fridge for Sarah telling her, hey, Lou invited us to come over later, blah, blah, blah. So five hours later, Sarah comes home and the apartment is dark, which is a red flag. Like apparently they're like when you walked into their apartment, like the light switch wasn't by the door. Like, it was over against the wall, like, mm-hmm. a little ways away. So, they would always leave that light on. Okay. So, they didn't come. You see what I'm saying? So, they didn't come home to the dark. Yeah, I never leave my house dark either. When I leave, I leave on. Something. One of my, I've, yeah. It's never. There's never a time where the, a light is not. See, and my house is black when I leave. Like, I turn everything off. Well, the main reason I do is for the animals mostly. Mm. I know they can see in the dark, but. Your animals can see in the dark. Yeah, cats can see them. Can they? Yeah. Nuh-uh. Yeah. They have night vision? Well, I don't know if it's called night vision, but... <laughs> I feel like these are lies. I'm going to have to fact check myself. She's going to... She's going to look like a liar. So anyways, they always left the light on, so they didn't have to walk into the, you know, house dark. And even though she couldn't see anything, she could tell that, like, the apartment was completely trashed. Oh, no. So she's, like, instantly, like, her hackles come up. She's like, what is going on? So she's calling out for Tina. She doesn't answer. So she's like, maybe she beat me home and saw this and left. I mean, this is 95. So, you know, nobody had like cell phones and stuff. So she's like, she probably left and went somewhere waiting for me to get off work. So she wasn't here by herself. She probably like, it looked like somebody had like broke in. Yeah. So... She sees the answering machine is, like, flashing. You remember answering machines from the old days? So the light's flashing. So she's like, oh, it's probably Tina. She probably called me to tell me where she was or whatever. So she goes and she's, like, you know, pushes play. And it's Tina's work. Saying, like, hey, where are you? Basically, you didn't come up, you know, for your shift. This is unlike you. What's going on? So Sarah starts calling her name again. Trying to, you know, she's walking through the house, flipping all the lights on. She's not answering. She doesn't see her. Her bedroom door was open, so she kind of peeks in and, like, her bed's made. So she's like, well, she's not here. So it was just odd. So she's walking through the house again, like, probably taking in everything. Like, what's been taken? What's been, you know, whatever. And so about the third time she walks past, she glances down and sees that she is, like, Tina's, like, laying in the floor. Like. Covered in blood. Like, in a pool of blood. So, she's half naked. And you, she can tell that, like, she's she's dead. So, she calls the police and they tell her, get out of the apartment. Wait for us outside. So, the police arrive. Start investigating. There's no sign of forced entry. Nothing seemed to be taken. Nothing big. Like, their TV, aunt, phone, whatever. I don't know if they had a computer. But anyways, nothing, nothing. She couldn't see anything that was missing. So it just looked like almost like a staged robbery. And there was a, like your story, a strong smell of bleach. So Tina was stabbed seven times. Injuries were consistent with physical assault. There were multiple cuts and wounds and one deep cut across her neck. There was blood on the walls and the clothes that were lying on her floor beside her body. She had been sexually assaulted, and the cause of death was blood loss from the multiple injuries. Mm -hmm. So she bled out, which is terrible. I mean, the whole thing's terrible, but, like. (sighs) It wasn't like an on-impact death. Right. It's not like blunt force trauma. Yeah. So there was a smell of bleach, but all this blood. The bleach, they would later find out, was coming from the bathroom like that's where i mean the whole house smelled like bleach but it was coming from the bathroom her closet door was kind of ajar there was a wooden handled knife laying beside her left hand so they don't know if like Hmm. the intruder quote unquote brought it in with them or if it was one that belonged to the girls but it was laying beside her yeah A second knife and wallet were also found on the floor and taken for evidence. I don't know. Two witnesses said 
They were home since about 5.15, and they didn't hear anything. They didn't hear any screaming, no, no nothing. Really? Like neighbors. And you know apartment complex. Like like you live in a like condo complex. Like you're, you would think if someone upstairs was being yeah. stabbed, beat, house tossed about, you would hear so, something. Yeah, I mean, I hear dogs barking. I hear so. We heard your neighbor move a chair yeah, one time. I mean, so I can hear their TV up there sometimes. I hear their talking sometimes. I don't do hear. You, is that all you hear? Do you ever hear? Any, <laughs> do you ever hear anything else? No, I never have. No. But um, I can't make out what they're saying, but I can hear their tone. Right. You know. When I lived in my condo downtown, across the way, I could see into this other condo building. And girl, there was a couple. <laughs> well, first of all, they could not have been married to each other because this was like some Fifty Shades oh shit God. that would go down in broad daylight. That does not surprise me. On in their kitchen. Oh my god! And everywhere else, with all the windows up or all the shades oh up. Oh my goodness! It was insane. I would watch it. I'd make me a drink and go sit on my patio. <laughs> oh my Here's the thing. First of all, they definitely worked out. They had great bodies. They worked out. <laughs> they worked out. They had great bodies, and those weren't real, if you know what I'm saying. But they wanted people to watch. You don't leave your shades up. And mm. I have some stories from places I've lived before, but only about, like, screaming fights. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to give this quick sidebar story. When I was living in Fayetteville, North Carolina, I lived it. An apartment complex. It was a big one. There were a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Well, I Samuel was working his surgery rotation or something, so he was, like, gone all day, all night. I was staying alone by myself, which I don't care about. Well, one night, someone bangs at my door screaming, "My, I know my husband's there. I know my <gasps> Lacey, husband's there. Lacey, you troll up. No. And I'm like, I look at my little people. I would people. have a heart attack if that I happened was. to me. <laughs> I look at my people, and I just pretend I'm not there at all. And she's screaming, I followed his iPad or Kindle, I don't know, something with the tracking. She's like, I followed it. I know he's here. And I'm like, I wanted to say, you've got the wrong person. But I just pretended like I was at home. I was freaked out because she, she was. She gun. She could have stabbed you. She was, I mean. What was it? Amy Fisher. Remember she her? She was rightfully no. upset. She was rightfully upset. Yes. But I was scared on my end. Well, turns out. She knocked on the door across from me, across the hall. It wasn't set up like this. It was like I had never uh-huh. right across from me. Well, she knocks on her door and like the woman opens and says, he's not here. Well, this woman, I was looking through my people. She barged in. Her husband was hiding in her bed. <gasps> he was yes. cheating on her. He and was cheating. First of all, you're hiding in her bed? Oh, and she was man. claiming at the door that he wasn't there. And she's, he, oh, so I was nosy enough. I in know the that same they apartment together. Complex? In the same apartment. So her no, they didn't live there. Though she followed his iPad or something, it pings so this to wasn't my like a building. Gated. No, it was not gated, and it was just a mess. <laughs> so it pinged to my building. Yay, my floor. Yay, right across from me. So that's why she was screaming at my. And I was calling people. I'm like, I'm alone. What? And this woman, she was knocking on my door for I don't even know how long. It was a long time, and I was freaked out because she was like, I know he's in there, and I'm. He's not here, lady. Oh, my but God. But I felt bad, but I'm like, he's not here. Well, yeah. So, long story short, she yanks him out of the apartment. And you were watching all this from your people. Well, then I started watching from my I'm, – I'm a nosy neighbor. I'll listen. <laughs> I'll watch everything. So, I was looking at the screen where I was hunched. I had turned off all the lights, and I was looking at my blinds Lacey's on the second got a glass floor. of against – I've done that before, too, to other neighbors. Oh, God. No, okay. So, he – this is even more wild. He gets in his car to leave. And she starts punching his window and breaks her hand. <gasps> and so, at this point... I am living for this story right now. Well, at this point, I call the police. <laughs> oh, oh, at this point. Not, well, oh, well not because I didn't think anything... That, I didn't think she was going to, like, kill anybody. I didn't think that was happening. But at the point where she, like, broke her hand. And, and I called and it's a there's domestic a, a, yeah. situation. I think she's hurt. I was just her like... Her arm is... Her hand's hanging off her arm. <laughs> I, I didn't call sooner because it wasn't, you know, nothing had happened other than her screaming at him. I am but I'm dead. like, oh, yeah, there's a domestic disturbance here. I love it. But they came. She left. Oh, it was bad. It was. I love it. It was. That's a good story. Why have you never told me this before? But yeah, I'm like, oh. And of course, it's when I'm home alone by myself and someone's like, I know my husband's there. And I'm like, he's not here. I promise you. He's not here. I don't know anyone here. <laughs> oh it was so but the woman across from me 
was telling her, oh, but before she barged in, she's like, no, he's not here. It was a, co- a co-worker of his. And she's like, <gasps> and she's like I know oh he's cheating on God. with you. And she's and the, the woman was, of course, being really snooty. Like, he's not here. You're She was calling her like, you're crazy. You're oh, this no, and that. don't and ever. And that's when the wife no. barged in her home and found Mm-mm. him hiding. And she's like, get it. And she yanked him out. I'm like, holy crap. Well, I didn't know this neighbor at all. It, people came and went a lot, but one time we were both taking out the trash at the same time, and I we were opening the door, and I just bugged my eyes at her like, oh, my God, what Poor. do I do? Well, I was just like, and we said nothing because it's like she, she knew, knew. I knew. She knew you knew. By the way, I looked at her. I looked like a deer in a headlight, like, oh, my God. That is – let me pour my drink. That's hilarious. It's just one of my neighbor stories, but anyway, I'm sorry for the major okay, detour. Back to back to I'm me and sorry. Tina. Back yes, to Tina's I'm story. Sorry. That was a great story, Lacey. Thank you for that. <laughs> so anyway, so these so these neighbors are like, we've been home since about 5.15. We haven't heard anything. Um, two other people said that they saw a blonde guy with long hair running through the apartment complex around 9. He's a white man, about 18 to 22, 5'10", 150 to 170, had a gold hoop earring in his left what? ear. How were they able to even tell that? Muscular legs and arms, gray or white, loose-fitting shorts, and a red or pink button-down shirt with microchecks, which in the South we call that gingham. I was about to say, what is that? <laughs> it's gingham. That's it, a very good gingham, and you wear that, and you wear that on Easter. So, anyways. But the yeah. hoop earring, that's very... In the, and uh, he's that's running? Lot, he's running. It's a lot of detail. It is. Close I your eyes right now. That. Close your eyes. What shoes do I have on? Their leopard print. Damn it! Yeah, <laughs> little wedge-ish booty. You, you, you know, yeah. I, you know, I love a good shoe. Yeah, sorry. Damn it! But my whole point is, yeah, no, is like I you know. don't. I mean, like I wouldn't be able to. You're not because at the point. Well, house. and at the point, like it, you know, at the time, like even if you, if I saw somebody run past here, which a lot of people run down here on this river, I couldn't tell you what they had on. If somebody came to me later and was like, so we think there was somebody murdered. Did you see anything? I saw a dude running. I would not have. I don't know how muscular his legs were, but anyways. So, backtrack. Tina's on the phone at 517. Okay. So, between that time and whenever her roommate comes home is a very small window. Right? I mean, it's like four hours, five hours. So, the police think that he had to have been in the house while she was on the phone. Because there's no time. By the time she hangs up, she's been working at 5.30. She hangs up at 5.17. Well, is there a way she would have opened the door to someone, maybe? I mean, I guess. Or maybe she was trying to get out and he can't. Anyways. So, but crime scene and eyewitness you know, reports make the police think that, you know, that they had to have been in the, there. But Sarah says, you know, she testified later on and said that he went through everything we owned. Like everything. Drawers. Kitchen drawers. Dresser drawer. Like he went through everything in their house like he was looking for something. So... She's like, you know. That's weird. Yeah. And Lou would say, you know, she would go on to say, like, she was totally normal on the phone. So if somebody was in the house, she didn't know. Because she was completely chit-chat normal, like, anyways, yeah. So, also, the police think that the bleach obviously was used to clean up evidence of the crime Mm. in the bathroom. There was no bleach on Tina on her body or on hmm. anything in her bedroom which is like maybe so, they bleached clean their cell maybe it was their murder weapon but then, then they took it but then the knife was uh, found beside her maybe that was hers and their weapon was something else and they wanted to keep I know it's so fishy like would she have a knife and walk into her bedroom you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's like it's just it's something that they kept on them or yeah i don't know yeah it doesn't make any sense so they also said, you know, the suspect probably smelled like bleach and had some injuries after what all had taken place. They spoke to the manager that had left the message on her voicemail from her work, the, the guy from the Godfather mm-hmm. Pizza Place. And he said, you know, it was very odd that she didn't show up. She was very reliable and he thought maybe she'd made a mistake with her schedule. 
So that's why he called her as he was, you know, like, yeah. hey, I don't know if you remembered you had to come back after you left, but you're, you know, where are you? So anyways, her car was processed, towels from her bathroom, blood samples were tested and clothing, a search warrant for hair fiber and for her fake fingernails were taken so they could do some testing. Mm -hmm. And they did find a long blonde hair in her hand. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, Gingham, Gingham Ponytail Boy. So, there were four main investigators and 15 other investigators to support this case. So, there were a lot of people working on this. Mm -hmm. They ran background checks on residents at the apartment complex and all of her classmates at college. There were uh, potential DNA that they got was sent to Cellmark Diagnostics from 300 people. Wow. Um, they interviewed these people, including known sexual offenders, local to the area. In August of 95, police began to collect voluntary blood samples from people of interest. On June 4th of 96, so the next summer, police received the DNA results on the hair. Out of the 30 to 40 suspects that agreed to DNA samples, only one matched. Greg Gable. <sighs> so, he was in his early 30s and had spent most of his adulthood in a housing place. Like a, it's like an adult. Um, like an adult care facility. Yeah, like for developmental disabilities or mental illness yeah. diagnosis. He had schizophrenia. And he um, had been previously charged with third-degree sexual assault, and public indecency. Witness testimony placed him near the crime scene that night. The owner of a Sonic nearby told police that he had been there and described him as a socially inappropriate but smart with facts and numbers. So almost like Rain Man. You know, almost like he maybe had some form of autism as well as schizophrenia. I mean, it said he had developmental disabilities, but it never said. So... Employees recognized him whenever they were, you know, talking about him. They were like, oh, it sounds like so-and-so. But then police showed him a sketch, and they were like, that's not him at all. Huh. So, you know, they're describing, like, somebody said they saw a guy with a ponytail, and, you know, he was. Did he not ponytail? He had, well, they said, you know, he, he was a guy with long hair and about this tall and this, you know, da-da-da. And, and they're like, oh, well, it sounds like. It matches the description. They're like, well, does he look like this? And showed him a sketch. And they're like, no, that's not. Mm -mm. Huh. No, no. So he was arrested on June 25th, 96, and charged two days later. Wow. He maintained his innocence during the investigation and entered a not guilty plea. So people were not convinced that this guy did it. They kind of felt like police had taken advantage of a mentally ill guy and kind of coerced a false confession out of him, which it we've seen that when we've yeah. read cases where it's like, well, like, what's his name? The Making a Murderer, the, the cousin. <clears throat> yeah, and it's He's, not yeah. always, but usually people with schizophrenia are more likely to be victims than they are mm -hmm. to be the mm -hmm. ones violent. I know people think that they think, oh, they're they're not. They don't tend to want to attack and attack hurt you, or be really yeah. be around people that much. But it's not impossible. Right. But it is kind of strange, especially since he didn't know her. Mm -hmm. There's no connection. Mm -mm. So several citizens had wrote letters to the newspaper and called the ACLU to intervene to what they thought was a miscarriage of justice. Like they didn't want this guy. They were like. He's a harmless guy. Has he done stuff in the past? Yeah. Do we think he did this? No. We don't think he's, I mean, did he, you know, pee outside of Sonic? Yes. That's indecent exposure. Was he trying to rape someone? No. You know, so they were yeah. kind of being his advocate, which is kind of nice to see yeah. that, you know, they weren't just like a witch hunt and like yeah. guilty. People can easily be taken sure. advantage of. Right. Yeah. Right. He did have a ponytail, but... He wore thick glasses. So, it, it wasn't, I mean, the police would say this is irrelevant. Yeah. 
But people would say he literally cannot see without his glasses. This guy was not wearing glasses that did this. So it's very circumstantial, like the Purvis Payne thing. It's yeah. like he had long hair. It was the 90s. A lot of dudes did. You know, it, it never said if he had owned the clothes that they saw him in or, you know what I mean? There was just a lot of discrepancies. Police, you know, like I said, were like, ah, oh, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter, you know. Where was but I? his DNA matched that his hair. D- his DNA matched the hair. Mm. Yeah. So, pre-trial hearings were held in 1997. A librarian from the public library testified that she had heard him talking about strangling someone named Tina. Jeremy Nelson, a friend of Gable's, was identified as being the man with him that day in the library, and he adamantly refuted these claims. He said, that was not what we were talking about. You're taking it out of context. You, You know, I don't know what you thought you heard. You were eavesdropping. You can't, you know, whatever. But... When cross-examined, it was revealed that Nelson had a lifelong problem with memory. So his testimony was not very reliable. Gable underwent a court-ordered competency eval in December to see if he could stand trial. A month after the second DNA test was ordered on the hair. This time... They used mitochondrial DNA, which was brand new in 1998. So while that was being tested, while the hair is being tested, he undergoes the test. Yeah, yeah, the competency test. And Penn State declared Gable as incompetent to stand trial due to mental illness, which we see that a lot as well. Mm Lancaster County attorney Gary Lacey said that he was going to contest this because he thought, oh, no, he's he's competent to stand trial. So a second eval was done, but this one was by um, an evaluator that, that attorney Lacey picked. You following me? Yeah. And so he didn't, he didn't, yeah, he didn't people. agree with what the first one did. Yeah. So then he was like, I'm going to get my own guy to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but before he could get that second mental evaluation done, the results of the DNA from the new mitochondrial test came back and it excluded him. Really? He was not, it did not match. Mm-mm. Oh, man. So the first DNA test, I guess just a, I guess, run-of-the-mill DNA test. And then they did, like, the supersonic one, and it came back and said no. Yeah, I'm not a scientist. I only play one on TV. But (laughs) I know that, like, back in the day, some of the DNA tests, it was kind of like, do you have a few of these things that match up? Like, there's a whole whole lot of things you can have. And sometimes it was kind of like just the best, not a guess. But if a couple of things lined up, that was considered a match. Yeah, like you've said, they've evolved from that. I feel like now it's definitely more... Well, and that's the thing, too. Yeah. It, it's like, it's weird that both tests were different. But at the same point, even in yeah. two years of DNA testing, the, the advances can be drastic. So, yeah. I mean, it anyway, so... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I figured, I figure, that's probably what it was. I mean, you know, you can test it so far, but then when there's more detailed tests, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. More advanced, more detailed. Sure. So Gable was released. And there can be errors, too. In oh, the lab, yeah. Which is also, I mean. Yeah. I mean, they have testing errors just yeah. in blood work that exactly. I've had done same, or it's been mislabeled same. or they've mm-hmm. lost this and they have to go back. And yep. I mean, just imagine if that was like, you're going to go to prison if they I would want jack my this DNA up. tested twice. If so, I'd like, test, test all of this DNA. Clip my fingernails, yeah. swab my nose. I don't care what you have to do. So he was released in July of 98, two wow. years after he was arrested. He spent two years in prison or jail or whatever. So he is and was still a suspect, even though they didn't continue with the trial. That way, they basically cover their ass and there's no double jeopardy. Because, you know, you can't be tried twice. 
So basically, if they arrest him now and have no proof and it's thrown out, then say 10 years from now, DNA is even more advanced and they could prove it without a shadow of a doubt. They couldn't do it because they've already done it. So who did it if he didn't do it? Many guesses. (laughs) Slaze <laughs> um, looking at me like I don't know. Your man. I don't know. I don't know your case. So two months after the murder, police receive an anonymous letter saying Patrick Holmes killed Tina. Patrick Holmes. That's Who what is it that? says. There was nobody by that name that had ever been identified or connected to this crime. What? It was found to be non credible, but they investigated it. Okay. And then there's Daniel Straw. A 21-year-old who lived in the same complex and was also a person of interest. So, in December of 95, he was charged with first-degree murder of 51-year-old Pamela Kelly. She was beat and sexually assaulted, and then he ran her over with his car. Oh, no. Okay, well, my so this was on that So, guy, this was then. three years before. He lived in the same And lived in the same. Had, yeah, yeah. 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 But... There was no evidence that he knew her or had anything to do with the crime. He just happened to be, have the same, you know. It'd be like if somebody found a cigarette butt and they're like, oh, there are three smokers in this apartment complex. It had to be one of them. Well, no, they could have had somebody come over. You know what I mean? So it was just like circumstantial. And he had an alibi that night. He was at work. His time card showed that he clocked in and... And she had no boyfriend at the time. She wasn't okay, seeing anybody. Okay. I mean, could it have been a serial killer? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's the Midwest. I don't know. Serial killers come through. But it just seems odd. Yeah. Like somebody just... Anyways. So, since Gable was released, there has not been any more looking into this case. There's no leads. It's There's nothing. They have nothing. <sighs> In 2005, there was one inmate who said, hey, somebody told me that they did it or they know who did it. Like a jailhouse snitch. Yeah, like a jailhouse snitch. And they're always credible. Yeah. He said that the man told him that one of the suspects police were looking into new specific information Mm -hmm. about the case. Um, He said that he hid some of the items that he took from her apartment in rocks on a bike trail. Oddly enough, Gable's previous crimes happened at bike trails. Hmm. So now we're back to him again. Okay. But so yeah, Gable remains a prom suspect. He was placed under surveillance after his release in 98 for about two years. And the cops even like befriended him and, like took him to strip clubs and what? hung out with him, trying to call, oh, okay. trying to get They're, him to talk okay. and be his friend, Gosh. and trying to get him to say something. Nothing, never. He never said a word about anything. He talked about other women in the town. Okay. Never anything at wow. all about Tina. Has he <clears throat> gotten in trouble with anything since? Because I feel no. like he's a repeat offender. I don't know what yeah. the statistics are, but people that assault and rape or you know all that, sure. they're likely to reoffend. So I feel like whoever did this had done it before or did it after if he wasn't caught. So the University of Nebraska at Lincoln set up a scholarship fund in her honor. And the case is unsolved. To this day, her family and friends ask anyone who knows anything to come forward. They've got a hotline to call. And they just want everybody to know that they haven't given up on her or her case being solved. So... That's the, that's the show. That's it. Nebraska listeners, crack this case. Crack this case. Get on it. They're probably like, bitch, we haven't heard this story so many times. I have We heard still it can't find out who did. Yeah, I, I'm quite sure that people in this community have not given up on yeah, I'm, any of it. Well, we actually got an email from a Nebraska listener. <gasps> Shut up. Yeah, we did. So we got an email. A corn husker. A corn husker. So, Michael from Nebraska wrote us and told us that he lived in Omaha for over 20 years, and he wanted to give us some factoids. Perfect. Okay, are you ready? Omaha is the birthplace of Gerald Ford, who was the 38th president, 
Nick Nolte? Do you know who that is? Yeah. I have to Google it. Oh, Jesus. You're 12, though, he so. He looks kind of like Gary Busey. In a yes. Way. And he was a model when he was younger. No offense. He's got the, he's got the alcoholic bloat. Yeah, well. And Marlon Brando. Mmm. Yeah, that was fun. I, that, Nebraska? While I was Googling, um, Malcolm X is also from. Really? Omaha. Yeah. So he also says that Omaha is the location of the murders committed by Walking Willie, Odie, which I've never heard of, and Nico Jenkins, who I've never heard of. So, uh, Michael, you need to do a follow-up email and tell us about one of these, and then we'll read it on our listeners episode. Because Walking Willie Odie sounds... Walking Willie Odie. Walking Willie. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Michael, tell us more. We need to know more details. Oh, and we have a new Patreon. Yay! Or is it a new patron? I don't know. I don't know what it is either. Well, anyway, Katie V, thank you so much for joining us, Katie. So she also co-hosts the podcast Cruel and Unusual. Okay. Which is fun. Yeah, Yeah. everybody go check her out. Thank you, Katie. We're happy to have you here. Where are we next week? I don't know. Montana, I think. Montana. Montana. (laughs) We always say it, and then we look at each other like, do you know? Home of the... Nikes, I don't know. Oh, by the way, cats... Can't see fine detail or rich color, but have a superior ability to see in the dark because of the high number of rods in their retina that are sensitive to light. So cats can see using roughly one-sixth of the amount of light people need. So they see way better in the darkness. Fun sidebar, Montana. Mountains. There's gold in these hills. Oh, Lord. Let's see. It's famous for sapphires. <gasps> I mean, Shut up. That's my favorite stone. I love sapphires. I want, now I want to go up and... Um, I have family in Montana. Really? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's fun. I've never visited them. But <laughs> they, live, they live there. Screw them. <laughs> I'm like, that's a little foreign mountain-y for me. The treasure state. Huh. Interesting. Hmm. The treasure state. That would have never... Mm-mm. I guess they are... Their treasure is sapphires. Interesting. I really want to go to Montana. I haven't been before, but that's on my my list. It's really pretty. Maybe we should go together. We should take a trip and hunt for sapphires. All right. Well, follow us on all the things. Follow us on Instagram. All the things. At United States of Murder. On Facebook and Twitter at US of M Podcast. Check out our Patreon patreon.com slash United States of Murder. We have a lot of fun stuff on there. We also have the links in our social media if you forget these. And if you want to email us, email us at United States of Murder at gmail.com or go to our website and send us a message. You can be like Michael. Give us some facts of your own. We love emails. So, yeah. Anyway, bye. Bye.